Hey, good people. This is your NI Dom back with another reflection. And this is a personal journal for contemplative people looking to think, grow, and have impact in the world. So, hey. Identity. Identity. That is my starting point. I, um, I plan on sharing a couple of short stories about identity, just so you know what I mean by the word, making sure that we have the same schemas attached to that word. But ultimately, what I hope to share is a breakthrough that I had about my identity over the past week. And so I have done three episodes about identity um, all last year. One was in February, one was in July, and one was in November. And I wish if I had time, I would go back and listen to those just to see if what I'm thinking about identity today connects to those three reflections. But um, a couple of times I've gone to share something with you and uh, over the past week, actually. And I've been curious about my relationship to that concept. So then I go on my podcast and see, have you talked about this thing already? And then I find out that I have, and then I want to listen to it. And then I'm no longer connected to the thing I wanted to talk about in the first place. So today with this identity reflection, I did go and see how often have I spoken about identity, found out that there were three times all in 2021, but I did not allow myself to go and listen to those just because I didn't want to get distracted. So identity is my starting point. I have a couple of stories I want to share about it so that you'll better know what I mean when I say identity. And then I want to tell with you tell you about a breakthrough that I'm ha- I had. Um, I suspect there's going to be a lot of typology talk in this. Um, some other things I think I might talk about would be flow state. Um, infrastructural inspection and that is really interesting to me something that I think will connect to this idea of identity Um, most often when we think about an inspection or infrastructural inspection we're talking about a building and that's not what I'm talking about when I say infrastructural inspection um, so we'll see if I touch on that. I may also touch on um, knowing and prophecy, knowing and prophecy. And maybe I might touch on MBTI equity work. MB, the MBTI as connected to equity work. So that's a list. I don't have a full list, but those are the ideas that are in my head. That have been floating in my head over the past week or so. It's been about 10 days since I've connected to you all. And so those are the ideas that are in my brain. And I'm curious to see if they come up related to identity. They may or may not. I just wanted to let you know. If you see me bouncing, it's because there are a lot of things that have been happening in my brain. And this morning I'm curious to see if they all relate to a deeper impression about identity. Okay. All right. So if you are new to this project, this is a personal journal where I process my inner and my outer worlds. I do so by using personality theory. The two that I use the most are the Myers-Briggs and the Enneagram. 
pushing those two systems together. I identify as an INTJ8. I also identify as an African-American woman from a lower socioeconomic background and from intergenerational trauma. I'm a trained and practicing educator and social scientist of about 30 years, and half of that time has been in leadership. Politically, I identify or Excuse me, politically, I connect to tenets associated with critical race feminism, which basically means I have an intellectual sensitivity about social constructs such as race, class, gender, sexuality, just to name a few. This project is unedited and it is unscripted. If you want to know more about me or it, feel free to go to my website at yournidom.wordpress.com. So I'm going to be moving around from room to room, pausing you frequently. I'm in this interesting little game with my neighbors above me. I go into one room, and they end up being in that room. Then I go to another room, and they end up being in that room. Then I go to a third room, and they end up being in that room. Then I go to a fourth room. You guys get where I'm going? (laughs) It's only two people up there. (laughs) They can't be in every room. So while I'm moving to try to be in a room where there's no one um, hovering over me, because you can hear it, they move too. So we just play this game. Sometimes it's fun. Um, so um, let me do um, a little storytelling just to give you an understanding or a clearer picture of what I mean when I say Identity. So I, um, I'm in this little community, um, online community, but it's like semi offline. So it's a voice community. And I talked about this before and I talked about these two people I'm in a group with. Um, it's a spiritual group and we all represent different spiritual backgrounds. Um, I'm probably the most agnostic out of the group, although I've been playing around with the terminology of calling myself a Christian agnostic but I also want to incorporate mystical in there so um, I don't yet know what that means but so I've been playing around with saying I'm a Christian agnostic then there's a Jewish man in there and then there's a woman who is um, married to a clergy of a particular denomination So we all bring in this different perspective and we're in the spiritual community and it's been really, really helpful for me in terms of understanding my own spirituality. And sometimes I find that I learn myself better when I'm talking to people who are different from me than when I talk to people who are like me. So both of these individuals have different um, spiritual relationships or spiritual identities, different constructions of faith. And we take a concept. We may take a word like, let's talk about, let's talk about the word faith. Let's talk about the word God. Let's talk about uh, sacred texts. Some people will call that scripture, but let's talk about sacred texts. The reason why, because I have found that my personality books are kind of like sacred texts for me. My book on the Enneagram, which is what I had first, even though I studied the Myers-Briggs first, I never bought the book. And then for my birthday in April, I bought the Myers-Briggs book and... Both of those texts are just awesome in terms of when I get into a, um, a difficult spot in my life, 
I'll go and read them. And it's very settling for me. It's like, oh, yeah, this is why this is happening. This is why you're thinking this way. This is why you feel this particular way. This is what you can do. So it's very, I find a lot of insight. And honestly, I feel like I, it helps ground me spiritually. So I've been playing around with, since this, I've been in this group, We've talked about sacred text, like what actually is sacred text. And I'm like, well, maybe those books are that for me. And actually, the Jewish guy was like, those books can be your sacred text. And at first I was like, that feels kind of sacrilegious. But the more I think about it, I'm like, anything that helps you connect to the spiritual side of you, the higher side of you, what is wrong with that? Anyway, anyway, that's not what I'm here to talk about. So I'm in a spiritual group, this offline, semi-offline spiritual group with these two other people. And sometimes we talk about our work. And particularly, particular two of us are educators. So this, technically the school year just started back. Um, I'm not in a job anymore that runs on that kind of calendar. But the spirit of the set is the same. Educators, we run on a school year calendar. School starts off in August or September. There's this feeling of a starting a sense of starting, and then in May and June, there's a sense of closure. And then over the summer, there's play. Um, I think about a lady who I met maybe 25 years ago. And she said, I never date anybody. I never get serious with anyone until they experience me over four seasons. Especially if I meet them in the summertime, because they may misunderstand who I am. Because the summer me is more open, flexible, carefree, playful. And they need to know the fall me, the winter me, that is driven by deadlines, that is focused on work, that's not flexible. And I remember thinking that, and it's true, as spending most of my adult life around a school year calendar, summertime me is different. I wear more dresses in the summertime. I don't wear dresses any other time of the year. In the summertime, I wear dresses. <laughs> and so, anyway, so I'm in this group, and um, we're talking because the school year just started. We've been talking a little bit more about work than we normally do. And so, at first, I was like, how do I feel about that? But, okay, fine, because we're not these spiritual beings in a silo. We're spiritual beings in a body, in the social world, going about our daily business. And so, as we encounter other people in their on their spiritual journeys in a body, that it is, as we are working and playing and love, learning and loving, we might have these spiritual revelations. So we bring it into this um, audio group and we talk about it. So she had a situation where she was really um, troubled. I mean, she was really pained. She dropped in and she said, you guys, I got to process something with you. I'm not going to get into the details of it. What I will say is that she was deeply saddened. And we don't do a lot of crying in that group, but she cried. Um, I've had my first set of tears. Um, because the guy in that group is talking about being a dad and having a journey about being a dad. You guys know, it's almost a year. In four days, I'll have my, my dad's anniversary. And um, so, yeah, so him just dealing with his struggles of being a dad 
naturally made me think about my dad's struggles and made me think about him in a different way. And so I had some tears around that. And so we don't usually cry in that group. But this particular lady came in the other day and she was crying about something that happened at work. And then she kept saying everything was fine. Parents were fine with whatever happened. Students were fine. My colleagues were fine. And so she kept assuring us that something, everything was fine because she was crying. So I was intrigued by if everything is fine, what's really, what is that pain really about? And so I came back and maybe it took a couple of days to process it. And I came back and I said to her, I said, is it possible that your identity took a hit? That while everything was fine in the world, so you did a thing, it really didn't have any major material consequences. It didn't adversely affect students. It didn't adversely affect families, your coworkers. It didn't, but yet you, we have to be honest, you were troubled. I said, is it possible that it adversely impacted your identity? And just maybe maybe um stepping too far out of my lane is it possible that your identity is based on perfectionness i'm i can get things done and i'm when i do things i do it well i said is it possible and then to help her to help her understand that i wasn't judging and um and that I have my own identity hits. I talked about me. And I've, you guys know a year ago I went on this major, amazing weight loss journey. And it wasn't like this major diet. It was just about being, just doing a number of things that I thought were pretty, fairly healthy. There was one thing about my strategy that wasn't, <laughs> wasn't the best. But, I, and I lost almost 30 pounds. I've gained all of that back, probably plus 10 or 15. So that's huge. <laughs> and I've had so much going on that I haven't had a lot of time to begrudge it. This is just something I've come to terms with over the summer. Now that I had, you know, had some time off to think. Like, well, I gained a lot of weight. And I don't really understand how. Now, my sister warned me that when my dad died, she said, be careful. Because I gained a lot of weight when Papa died. And Papa was our stepfather. But he was my sister's, he served as my sister's nanny for the girls. So he was living in the house with her in another state. So they were very, very close. And so when he died in Oint, um, excuse me, when he died in 2018, she said that she gained a lot of weight. So she she tried to warn me. She said, be careful. And I was like, I can't see it. I, I'm, I got a handle on this. I can't see it. And I don't know if that's what happened. Um, I also think I moved twice. I've just, you know, I started two jobs. You know, when my dad died, I was just starting one job. And then in the middle of the year, they moved my job in that. And, uh, and then, you know, I just started a different job. And then this morning, because I'm in the process of getting endorsements and reviews for a book that I have coming out. I haven't even talked about the fact that I wrote a book. Well, I wrote a book a while ago, but I've been in this intense revision process of that book over the past year. There's a lot. <laughs> that is a lot. And so here I am. 
40 pounds heavier. And I'm also going to go to the doctor, dude, just to make sure that there's not something else going on. Because that's just a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. So I'm going to go to the doctor just to make sure. But all the same, what I was telling this lady in this group is that I, um, that I, um, understand what it's like to have a hit on your identity. So my weight gain impacts my body, obviously, and my identity has my body um, has been uh, connected to my identity and didn't realize it until I had the weight gain, until I had the weight gain. Now, when I've gained weight in the past, it didn't fundamentally change my body. I mean, you understand I gained weight, but it didn't fundamentally change. It's been a fundamental change. Part of it probably is I'm aging, menopausal, and all of that. But but I just wanted her to know that. And so I, somebody who I work with is a personal trainer um, fitness and she was like don't look at your weight loss about body fat the body fat mass fat index or whatever that's called body mass index in bmi is it bmi i don't know anyway um she said don't worry about it do do this in terms of feeling good about yourself and being feeling good about yourself and doing things in the world that you enjoy and you have fun with and i said yep i get that but I need to be really honest. This is not just about having fun in the world and doing being active because it makes me feel good. This is about trying to restore my identity because my identity was attached to a different body structure. And I wanna, I'm fighting for my identity around that. Now, of course, again, I didn't understand that until I had to defend it. So in both of those stories, this young lady's identity struggle based on something that she did that impacted her identity that took a hit on our identity is related to doing things perfectly. And my hit on my identity is being having a particular type of body. Um, both of those are related to our sense of selves. And we live with this sense of self. It, it's a companion to us. An identity is something, how we see ourselves and our emotionality to that. The emotions that we have associated with how we see ourselves. So it's a perception and it's a judgment. I didn't realize that. Look at the typology connection. It is a perception and it's a judgment. So its identity is significantly connected to our cognitive wiring is basically what I'm saying. Okay, so that's what I want you guys to understand. So let me move into my aha that I had this week about my identity. You guys, I did a reflection um, called Calibration, which started off, I listened to that one yesterday. Started off pretty good. It ended horribly. Actually, actually, I can't even tell you how it ended because I had to stop listening to it. And I think sometimes I don't enjoy my reflections when I'm going looking for something specific. So the title was called Calibration. I strictly wanted to hear about calibration. And you guys know how I am in my reflections, right? I'm unpacking and I'm drilling down. 
And I just didn't, I wasn't there for the drill down. I really wasn't there for the unpacking. I strictly wanted to be connected to this idea of calibration. And when I got into the part of the reflection that was doing a lot of drilling, um, peripheral, addressing these peripheral concepts, and I just like, yo. And I have found that when I don't choose to listen to these reflections within, with any type of agenda, I was like, oh, I just want to listen. I enjoy the drilling down. I enjoy the unpacking. I enjoy listening. And I wish that other content generators would allow us to do that, would allow us to see their minds. But but I understand when you go to content and you want a specific thing, I understand how some of the peripheral stuff gets in the way. I get it. So anyway, but in that episode on calibration, the part that I listened to, I was trying to, at least what I think I was trying to do is talk about this um, masterminding and being able to see a thing in the future and then be able, being committed to um, achieving that thing, producing that thing, materializing it. And as you implement the thing that you see in your mind's eye as you implement you are going to encounter unknowns because the thing existed in your imagination it did not exist in the physical world so you start encountering unknowns in the physical space and then those unknowns become data points and then you calibrate for the thing that you're going after And I talked in that episode about looking up the word calibration. It's just making adjustments as you're implementing a thing. And I would add to some unknowns. And if you're an introverted intuitive like I am, if that means you're an INTJ or an INFJ, we live more in our heads than we do in the physical world. So although we might imagine that thing is to in what we think to the T, We're going to be missing out on some of the physical components because we don't have a relationship with the physical world as we do our imagination. So there's no way that you're going to be able to implement something. There's no way you're going to be able to know a thing in its totality as it relates to the physical, its physical properties. Well, first of all, you couldn't do it anyways, but we're especially not going to do that. Because we don't have an intimate relationship with the physical world. An intuitive, nuanced on understanding of the physical world. So, there's something that I've been in, intuiting and imagining and building in my head and pursuing. I'm not, I'm not an INTJ that sits forever on a thing. Um, I have a highly active TE until I've hit pockets. In my life where I have had some trauma attached to that TE, some resistance attached to the TE. I've talked about that in other episodes. I do not want to open that up right now. When my TE has had a hit, then it slows down. Now, it's never going to be as high as an ESTJ or ENTJ. But I think my TE is higher than most INTJs when it's healthy. When I'm in a healthy space. So. I implement. 
And I'm very comfortable with calibrating along the way. I'm not just comfortable, I'm confident. And now, (laughs) there's a young lady who's an INTJ on YouTube. Don't even know her name. I've listened to maybe three of her contents, pieces of content, and I love each one of them. But she she reminds me a lot of me. And she reminds me of the me that I'm not anymore. So the pieces that I've listened to her, she's always, she's like seven things to know about, like a lot about being productive in the world, how to be productive, how to be efficient and all these life hacks, these strategies she uses to be productive, really good information. I've got to find a way to talk about her. So you guys know who I'm talking about. Really impressive. I'm impressed by her and I can be critical. Okay. So. She talks about, and which is something I like. I do. You guys, there was an episode I did about a year ago called "The Brain Room." It's when you have all these things in your head, and you haven't been able to take action. You gotta put it on paper, because once you put it down on paper, it frees up your brain to start thinking about more. Now I have so much in my head. I have a whole room dedicated to just putting things around. And it's all organized. That was how I was in my other house. The house I'm in now, I'm having a hard time putting things on a wall. Like I'm looking on the floor, a lot of things fall off. So I'm going to have to buy like bulletin, not bulletin boards, cork boards, whatever. To to post things up. So I always have my notebooks, right? I I keep a running list of my notebooks. I put things on the wall. I journal it. I diagram it because getting it out of your head helps. But I also, based on, and this is something this young lady talked about, will say, these are the things I want to have done. I'll checklists, timelines, all of that. About two? No. About four or five years ago, that shifted for me. I stopped generating action item, like list of things to do. And so when I was listening to her talk about these lists, it's like, yep, well, I'm 51 now. I did lists for at least 45 years. (laughs) I'm not really doing lists these days. Every once in a while, I'll make a list. But I'm doing something different. (laughs) I'm not saying it's right, but I am doing something different. And I just want to get to this point about my intuition. My relationship between my my dominant function, which is introverted intuition, and my auxiliary function, extroverted thinking. I have what's called a weekly work, uh, what I don't even know what I call it. It's a weekly worksheet. It's a, it's, oh, here it is. It's called a weekly activity report because I call it my war sheet. My war sheet, W-A-R, my weekly activity report. And in that sheet, I want to keep track my activity based on my in game, right? So the the report has two pages. There is a chart for each page for t- two different domains of my life. In each of those domains, I have columns. Excuse me, I have rows for subdomains, and then I have the days of the week. Although I have grouped the days of the week. And at the end of the day, usually I do this the next morning. I go in and I plug in that sheet. These are the things that I did. So it's an interesting relationship of 
getting things out of my head and tracking it and moving towards a high mark because I have not even begun to talk about the identity, but I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to get in here. So, um, how do I explain it? So, so I had, like I said, two domains, right? And I'll share that, those two domains. I don't want to get detailed about my report. But basically, there's a business business domain. And then I have what I call my SE domain, the extroverted sensing. Everything in my physical world that has to happen. And that's important to me because I used to just spend all of my energy planning and imagining and strategizing about business. And my physical life, it just took care of itself until it didn't. And I hit a point where I had some physical, some goals in my, my, when I say physical, my material life that I wasn't able to automatically do. There was no autumn, that automating my physical life no longer served me. So I had to create a second domain on that sheet. And in that second domain, I have, like I said, about mm, maybe five or six subdomains. And inside of each of those subdomains are specifics. So it's a pretty, it's a pretty complex um, tool. If you guys want that, let me know. Send me a message if you like me to share that with you, because I would like to share it. But I want to know who I'm sharing it with. <laughs> That's T E and me, right? So anyway, so I, um, so I now have the second domain added to the sheet, where I'm, it's forcing me to think about my physical priorities in a different way, in a more mature way, and balancing that off with my business domains, my business priorities. And because I already have that mapped out in terms of a scope and this priority, and it's even weighted, that sheet is even weighted for me. Like how many times must I record activity in, anyway, that's the sheet. (laughs) And so that sheet allows me to be highly productive in the absence of a list. And it allows me to calibrate, to account for my unknowns. It allows me to, like I said, imagine, to perceive, to intuit. And it allows me to get credit for action strategic action because the sheet is guiding it. So I'm not being driven by a checklist anymore, but I am being driven by a very nuanced work framework, work-life framework. I don't know why I had to tell you all of that, but that is the truth. <laughs> so um, my, and that's my identity, right? I want, I'm going somewhere. I'm going somewhere, number one. I don't just see in the future. I drive myself intentionally into the future. My identity is deeply wrapped up in that. And I know that already. I knew that. I know that. I knew that. Okay. You also guys know I started a new job. And now I'm, I'm, getting, I'm getting in the revelation I just had. Then I'll start closing. I started a new job. And... I just finished six weeks and I don't know if I, I think I told you guys, I'm actually giving myself 12 weeks before I really judge the job. 
Does that feel like 90 days? You go through a 90-day probationary period. I put myself on a 90-day probationary period. And I put that organization on a 90-day probationary period. I want to see what you're about. I want to see what you're about before I lock in my judgment. All right. So I just finished that halfway mark. 90 days is roughly 12 weeks. I just hit my six. I just finished six weeks. And there's a pattern I've picked up. Now, when I've done um, my when I've carved out a 90 day training period, a 12 week training orientation period for new hires, when I'm in when I have that kind of jurisdiction. I will um, unfold or release unto that person a new Sorry, you guys. A new thing that they have to learn each week. So week one, we're going to focus on this. In week two, we're going to now focus on that. We're going to build on our knowledge for week one. And we're going to add new knowledge and skills for week two. And then week three, I introduce something new. By the time we hit week six, seven, it starts I'm not introducing, the frequency of me introducing new skills and knowledge sets are, it it starts to drop. So it really doesn't take 12 weeks to learn new things. It takes 12 weeks to see what you've learned, how well you've learned it. So in saying that, I believe at the end of six weeks, I've learned a pattern. I've learned a pattern about the organization. I've learned a pattern about me in that organization, which I'm not 100% in love with. I want to share that with you. And I learned a pattern about some of the people in it. Some of them. Now, we're going to see that we're going to take the next six weeks to do two things to see if there are any unknown things that will pop up that hadn't picked up already. And to see what I what I really come to understand deeply about what I've learned in six weeks. So I've learned some things in six weeks. I'm going to spend the next six weeks interrogating that pattern that I've established. Interrogating it, saying, what else don't you, what more do you need to know about this pattern? And of course, if there's some other nuances that just happen to be pushed away, it's to see if they pop up. So this is kind of what I do for my, I'm doing for myself. And I think in some, nope, I think this is a very intentional one I'm doing this time around. I was going to say I've done a variation of this in the past, but no. Now I will tell you what I've done in the past, which I have done here, is that infrastructure inspection. I saw myself doing that in 2019. And it, it, it didn't scare me, but it confused me. I'm going to tell you what it is in a minute. But let me tell you its impact on me first. When I, and I didn't name it until just recently. I'm calling it an infrastructural inspection. When I saw myself inspecting the, the infrastructure, I, I think I may have talked to you guys about this at some point. I was like, ooh, I'm, I look like an extroverted intuitive. It looks like my dominant function is extroverted intuition and not introverted intuition. Ooh, what is that? And then I realized... If that extroverted intuition was activated, let's say from August to roughly December, right around January, I settle. 
and I'm back to function as an introverted intuitive where that's clear. I'm not doing extroverted intuition. And it's, it is a striking difference in terms of my behavior and my affect. People noticed it. I noticed it. It was different. So I thought it was situational. It was situation to, it was situationally related to that particular school I was in. Then I went to another school. Different position, different grade level rather, different um, subject matter. And I found myself doing an infrastructural inspection again. Now this time when I, I saw myself doing it, I was like, huh. I didn't freak out like I did the first time. Because the first time I was like, oh my gosh, what if I'm really an extroverted intuitive? <laughs> Which makes me want to share some thinking I've had about the different selves and how the different selves, we can embody other four letters, other personality types. But it's who we are across the long haul that matters. Which is why we should not type people. Like I saw, I'm in this group and they were like, look at this picture. What type is this person? Like, really? Or I'm going to tell you a situation I had with a person. What type do you think that person is? Really? Your type spans across time and context. But I don't want to digress. So... When I when I did it that in 2019, the 2019-2020 school year, it confused me because I was like, oh. And then I saw myself settling in the middle of the year. But when it happened in the 2020-2021 school year, I was like, oh, there's that thing again. There's that thing I'm doing. Huh. Now I'm more curious about it as opposed to being concerned. And like the previous year, after I, after I did it, after... After I did the inspection, if you will, I settled. Then last year, 2021-2022, this time I did it. I was like, I know what I'm doing. I know I'm doing some kind of inspection. And I'm using extroverted intuition to do the inspection. Now, some people would argue that I'm dropping down into the fifth function in my stack because, you know, we have eight cognitive functions in our stack. Some people would say, oh, you're some people would say you're dropping down to that fifth function, which for me is extroverted intuition. And then somebody else might say, you're fun. You're actually using your top two functions. As, in a blended way, introverted intuition, extroverted thinking looks like extroverted intuition sometimes. I don't really care. I like both of those arguments. But I'm going to, I'm, I'm leaning more and more to embrace that we can access all of those functions. And I can see a real, I, I think, and I talked about this about a year ago, this six function stack as opposed to a four function stack. But that's not what this episode is about. So by the time I did it last school year, 2021, 2022, I was like, I know what you're doing. You're in, you're in, you're in, you're inspecting, and you're using this function to do your inspection. Now, it doesn't mean that I shut down my introverted intuition, and it doesn't mean I shut down my extroverted thinking. More than likely, those two functions pick that sixth function up. Excuse me, that fifth function up. We need you down there. Come up. We need you to. We need to. We're, we need to learn some things. Let me tell you what an infrastructural inspection is now. When I go into a new space, I want to know what's behind, what's not visible. 
I want to know the invisible. I want to know it's, I want to know how sturdy the organization is. I want to know how sturdy the things that the organization espouses a thing. If it says it, it says, this is what we believe. This is our mission. This, I want to know how deeply connected that mission is to its infrastructure. I want to know the invisible or the unspoken and the shadow parts of the people who work there. Because I take all of that invisible to help me to inform how to be effective in that environment. Now, I wasn't going to be able to explain it to you a few years ago. But now, and now that I'm in this job, I see myself functioning, like pushing in. And I push in. I push it using that extroverted intuition in a way that my extroverted thinking would never allow me to go to. My extroverted thinking would be fixing and trolling and structuring. And before I can do that, I need to know. So the extroverted intuition allows me to push into spaces that I wouldn't actually really give two craps about, excuse me, if I wasn't borrowing that extroverted intuition, my fifth function. So... You guys, if you're into type theory, let me know what you think about what I just like that framework that I kind of put together about how I use my fifth function and why. But I, I'm calling it an infrastructural, infrastructural in, in, investigation. There are people who do uh, in, investigate building infrastructures, physical buildings. They go in there and they're looking at they're looking at the soil, they're looking at the material, they're looking at um, some of the geographical. Um, technologies, which I don't fully know what that means because I looked it up this morning. How do you investigate or inter- investigate a building when you want to see its worth, its value? I do that in terms of the workspace. Another thing I'm learning through this job, this organizational psychology, uh, I have a deep interest in the psychology of an organization. So... How have I um, an interest in the psychology of an individual? I have an interest in the psychology of curriculum. I have an interest in, in the psychology of a school. And I also have an interest in the psychology of business. And a part of me wants to say sociology too, but I'm just going to stick with psychology. So I've been doing that in my first six weeks. I've been pushing in. I've been investigating it, learning what's behind the curtains. Like, how do people think? How are they making decisions? How are par, how are parts of the program aligned or misaligned? How does that misalignment or alignment impact production? What are they doing? Why are they doing it? I've been doing all of that in infrastructural inspection. Okay. So I've been doing that. Like, that's been my own agenda. And it's not even a conscious thing. It's not like I wrote it down. It's not on my weekly activity report. It's just something I intuitively do. And now I know it. I can name it. And now, because I now am naming it, as I move on in the world and other jobs, I can now partner with this very natural part of me. Okay. So, that's that. Um... And I think, before I move on to another piece, I want to say that that actually is rewarding for me. 
Now, when I've when I've collected the information that I need, then that activity becomes taxing or daunting. But extra, okay, I'm, I'm having a connection right now. How I'm utilizing extroverted intuition is giving me new data to perceive as an introverted intuitive. And once the introverted intuitive knows what it's going to know, it tells that fifth function, just, okay, we can go up, we're going to park you now. We're good. We got everything we needed to know. Thank you very much. Now sit down. <laughs> just sit down. <laughs> and, um, yeah, hold on a second. And so that's fulfilling. And I was wondering, is it feeling be- fulfilling because I'm using that fifth function? No, it's not. It's fulfilling because that fifth function is feeding my dominant function in this yummy way. So it's fulfilling. Even though the extroverted intuition is not my jam, I can do it for the sake of my dominant function. Okay, and that's fulfilling. All right. Now, I've also experienced immense flow. And flow, as I understand it, I wish I would have. I should have looked this up before I started to you because I would love to give you an official definition. But I think I maybe have done this at some point. Flow is getting into work where time no longer is relevant. You don't even think about time. It's a way of working that escapes. It's un. It's untime. It's it. It's untime bound, if you will. And I have been in significant flow in this new job. Flow is flow feels good for me. But I'm gonna be honest with you. It hit me. I have I mean it was so this is this is six weeks, y'all, okay, of a new job. <laughs> the flow has been so delicious for me that I had to say, wait a minute. Are you doing other things that you need to do in your life? So that Marura talked about that 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 weekly activity report and all the little things I have to do to to move forward to my destination. The the job was giving me such flow; it was so rich. I wasn't doing the other things, you guys. And I'm saying, coming home from doing karaoke and then like, ooh, let me go do something with the job. Getting up in the morning, first thing, like, forcing myself to brush my teeth, doing my morning hygiene, and then running right into the work. I did that when I was a beginning teacher, by the way. And I learned that that's not working. That doesn't work for me. And it doesn't work for me because I'm trying to go somewhere. Now, of course, I want to do a good job. Right? I want to do a good job. I like doing being a good, doing a good job, which is something I want to talk to you guys about. But my sister and I had a conversation about sometimes people don't need to know that you want to do a good job because they can weaponize that desire. I wouldn't want to do a good job. Please, let me, you know, what? It, no, I'm working on it. I'm working on that. But <laughs> I'm, is, I need to just admit I, I, I do want to do a good job. And I find myself talking it more. Because what I have learned is that doing a good job for me may not always mean the same as doing a good job by my employer. 
And if I can help it, I, I want to do both. Now, there have been times in my life where doing a good job under my standard is not the same as doing a good job for my boss. Oh, well, my standard will prevail. But um, it makes me happy when I can do both, right? Do a good job based on my standard and my employer's standard. But it doesn't work. It doesn't always work like that. But anyway, so I've been in this flow state. And on one hand, it looks, it feels good. I have to say, wait a minute. There are other things that you need to be doing in the world right now and for the future. It can't take all your time like that. So doing a good job, you're going to have to put limits on it. Now, do I go over 40 hours a week? Absolutely. Can I get 50 hours a week? Mm -hmm. And on some weeks, I'm prepared to do 60 hours. I am. But I have a hard stop at 60 I have a hard stop. And um, when I've had some other high-level leadership position jobs, I kept a, I created what's called a timesheet, and I tracked my time. Like, I wasn't going to track my time and just be like, you're only getting 40 hours from me. Nope. They don't pay me. They pay me to get the job done. And sometimes it takes more than 40 hours to get the job done. To do it well, and I'm I'm here for that. But if it's taking over 60 hours to get the job done, something's wrong with the job. It shouldn't take over 60 hours to get the job done well. Something is wrong with the structure. Now, I will be honest, now that I'm 51, I don't believe a job really should require 60 hours a week. Not on, not, as, not as a regular. Will I do that in pockets? Yeah, I'll do it. But on average, I want to, I think about 50 hours is fair. So I'm coming into this job giving well, well, well over 50. And part of that is me pushing in, investigating that infrastructure, right? Learning patterns, learning me, all of that's fine. But there's another part that's flow related. It's flow induced. It's so yummy. It's so good. You guys don't know how good flow feels good. So I have to check myself. No one is telling me to put those hours in. I'm doing that. So you have the feel good that comes from that psychological inspection of that in organization. Then you have the, the feel good that comes from the flow. You guys are, and there's another part, intellectually. Oh, my God. Remember I, oh, my gosh. Let me say this. So, no. Uh, when was it? It was sometime in May, I think. I I remember I was on a walk and I did a reflection while I was out walking. And I was like, get up here, be, please excuse the dogs in the background, the birds and the traffic. Because I'm walking and doing this reflection. Which, by the way, you guys received. Um, two of those reflections that I've done outside have been received. And I'm like, yo, Okay. <laughs> But in that reflection, I said, I made a promise to myself. I'm never going to do another job that's using below 85% of my skill sets. I'm not dropping underneath 85% of my skill set again. Because I was in the space. See, and this is the thing where I was on that road talking about toilet paper, right? My toilet paper. 
um, my big bundles of toilet paper, really wanting to be able to purchase those, which really basically meant I want a surplus of money. I want I want a surplus of money where I don't have to worry. I want to be secure. And so there was this trade-off happening between surplus and skill set. And sometimes I really, I was losing both of those, I'm going to be honest, because I've been trying to, you know, recover from my hardship. So there was a time as I was recovering from my hardship, I was struggling. I wasn't using six, I wasn't using 85% of my skills and I didn't have the surplus of finance, the financial surplus either. But in a good space, I have been still having to choose. Okay, here's the money, but I'm not, I got good benefits got decent money but I'm not using my skill all of my skills I'm only using a few of them and I'm not using the ones that are most important so the job got so difficult last semester it forced me into this declaration that I made of myself we're not doing that again and I pray that I don't have to now for survival we do what we have to do but you get but then that's surviving that's not thriving but I'm going after thriving now and for me to be to thrive is to say I'm using 85% of my skills and I have financial security. Okay. And that's what I have. That's what I have. This is this job has given me. So if we're going to park that financial component, right? But I can buy my bundles of toilet paper. But we're going to talk about the skill set. I'm using... I could easily be using 95% of my skills, if not more. I, I dare say I can, I dare say that this job is allowing me to use 98% of my skills. Do you know how insane that is? It's insane. It's unbelievable. Because the only other time that I've used all of my skills like this was when I was the boss. I was the chief boss. There was nobody above me other than a board. And I never thought I would experience that again until I went back to being the boss like that. Now, admittedly, I'm, I am one of the bosses, if you will. One of them. But I'm not the boss. So it's like, oh, I'm using all of these skills and I'm not. Whoa. That also feels good. Sweet. Three good, three yummies. The psychological component of the organization. The flow state. Me using 95 plus of my skill set. And I guess if I was going to throw in a fourth one, it would be me having a pretty decent relationship with my boss. I'm still, that's, that's when I'm still waiting on. I'm still waiting on some, some more data for that one. But for so, so far, so good. And it's not because I think she's perfect. But in her imperfection, I'm strong. And where I'm imperfect, where I'm weak, she's strong. So we're really compatible. I pray that's what it is. I pray that we continue that. So we're going to say four yummies. I'm going to close you out. Four yummies. 
And then it hit me. Like, I really, before I tell you the butt here, I really need us to just sit in this for a minute. The job is, oh, I know what I was going to say. Oh, I know what I was going to say. So it's the, it's the, um, it's the, using my skill set. And the, let me say the, the fourth one differently. I'm you, it's an intellectual job. I'm using my head and other people are using their head and we're all coming together and we're strategizing. I spend 90% of my day talking about being rational, structures, being smart with other smart people. With other smart people. Y'all don't even know how awesome that is. And then the fifth yummy is that I have a good relationship with my boss. So far, I'm still going to hold. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a little cautious about that one. We, we'll find out after my 90-day orientation period that I've given myself. So those are five yummies. <laughs> five. And there is a but. And the butt is identity. And I don't I feel like I'm gonna get choked up because that's significant. I would have never known this thing about myself what identity had those five yummies not existed. See, when you have a job and you don't like your coworkers or you're not using your skill sets or you're not you're not able to go and flow, then you're distracted by the things you don't like. But what happens when you have a job and you like almost all of it? All of it. That only because I like all of it can I see the but. And the but is identity. I am not the chief decision maker. And I think... Because I've been sitting with that. If I had a job where they hired me as a chief decision maker, would that give me the identity that I want? And no. Because there's an identity of me being a founder. The person that started the organization. Not just the person that runs it. Not just the one who makes all the executive decisions. There's something about my identity that is as a founder that says, this thing that we're all in first lived in my imagination. It lived in my head. First of all, I perceived it. And then I had the skill set through my extroverted thinking and I implemented it and I put it into place. And I cannot do that in this job. As yummy as it is. Now there might be some. I think there are going to be some spaces. Maybe that my boss is going to let me. Be innovative and implement. And produce. Yeah I I can see it right. I'm excited about that. I feel super blessed and fortunate. I mean you just can't get better than that. If, If what I'm seeing is real. Right. I see a pattern. Now, I got to interrogate that pattern, you guys. So if I come back next week, it'll be like, oh, hell no. <laughs> Don't block me in, okay? We're going to go the full 12 weeks. Probably, yeah, probably need a year. But you got you guys, I think 90, day, 90 days is a good, it's a fair waiting period. It's good. But I'm not the founder. But what I love about my boss, she's the founder. She just isn't the boss. She's the founder of that organization. 
I and I have such a relatedness to her. I have such empathy to her because she's me. And this is humbling because INTJs, we're kind of, we can be cocky sometimes. She exceeds my founding, my foundership. I founded an organization that lasted five years. She's in her 12th year. I got to stand down and listen and learn. So even though I think that there's some things that she should, that I'm like, oh, why are you doing that? But the thing is, as I presented to her and I'd say, well, I think there's a different way. And she's like, okay. And the reason why I think she's like that, because she's the founder, this organization is her baby. If somebody's going to come and make her baby better, she doesn't have ego attached. She doesn't have ego, but not to that. So again, my identity, is it taking a hit? No, it's not a bad hit. Well, it's a hit. But because of all the other yummies, um, the hit is very um, cushioned, protected. But I realized in the last week that no matter how yummy this is, I'm not the founder. And I never would have said that last year. Because last year I was so distracted by all these things. But I have five things I really enjoy. And in spite of all of that, or despite all of that, nope, no, in spite of all of that, there's something missing. And it's me as the founder. So, the thing that I've that thing that I've been trying to mastermind and calibrate, and you know, and I think this is where I was trying to go in that really ridiculous episode on calibration, is that there are some things that um, there are some trade offs to not being the founder not being the decision maker that I'm trying to embrace and celebrate and lean into. But the mastermind is not done of the thing. There are a couple of things I'm masterminding, so I need to be honest about that. But they interconnect. And honestly, for a few years, I just didn't know how. Yesterday, the universe gave me an ingredient a piece of the puzzle that I've been needing for that big thing that I've been masterminding around foundership, if you will. I don't know what's going to happen, but now I have new, I have new knowing for my TE to start working. I'm excited. I'm excited about it, you guys. So is it a hit that I'm not in my foundership identity right now? It's a little bit of a hit, I need to be honest. And up until recently, when I was doing these other jobs where I wasn't the founder, I had this thing on the side I was doing. But this job was so yummy, I was starting to think about, oh my God, am I supposed to park those other things? That's what I've been contending with. It's part of calibration, parking those things, and getting totally fulfilled through a job. And I think what hit me yesterday, or yeah, maybe yesterday is that, or the last couple of days. Fulfillment in terms of skill set, compatibility, all of that is great. But you're and I, you're a founder. Not just because I have started something, because I like the world to know that I can both imagine and I can produce that in which I imagine. I love that. <laughs> and I don't want to lose it. I have to lose the identity around my body. 
I don't have that identity anymore. I'm gonna try to get something back. I'm gonna try to restore. I'm, I'm not done with the body project, you guys. I'm gonna, I'm gonna figure it out. <laughs> but I'm not done with my foundership identity. I'm a founder, so we'll see. So, you guys, <laughs> um, if this reflection has had any value for you, please give it a heart. If this conversation about identity, um, masterminding, calibrating, um, flow, investigating the organizational psychology, the, 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 organ, the psychology of an organization, fulfillment, if any of those talking points have been part of conversations you've had in the world, please take this link and share it with those participants. Tell them to fast forward to a particular minute marker. Do a responsible share, but please do that. And if my moving about caused some randomness in you, I would love to hear it. You can find me on my website at yournidom.wordpress.com. On Twitter, yournidom1. Facebook and YouTube. You're in IDOM. So you guys, you know, I dropped my episodes down uh, to 25 a season. I'm really struggling with it, but I'm trying to hold fast. I have two new episodes that I haven't uploaded. I'm going to need you guys to go over to that YouTube channel. Check out those YouTube videos. They're shorter. I really feel like I have a, a structure that I want to employ with that. Um, and I want to find a way to bring those episodes and put it on the website. So I have some things I want to do with that. Um, I'm going to hire a personal assistant and I'm excited about that in terms of what it's going to help me do in some of my foundership pursuits. Um, and part of that is with this project and it includes this project. So I have some thinking around that. I'll give you some housekeeping at another time, but please go check out the YouTube channel. You're in, I down. Let me give you your assignment. You guys know I've talked about having different selves. And I did an episode a year ago, about a year and a half ago almost, that that challenged this notion. Is the illusion that we have a single self, even though we have multiple selves? Or is the illusion that we have multiple selves and we only have a single self? I don't really know yet. I'm not yet resolved on that. What I am what I am saying is that we have selves that show up differently in different contexts. And I want to believe that there's a central self in all of it. I'm not 100% as confident about that as, as I was about a year ago, that there's a central self. But I talk about it a lot. So in that spirit of multiple selves and a single self, let's talk about the identity. And that identity is like the self, but it's the, the self that we want the world to know. That self, sense of self is very private, but identity is public. What's the public you that you want people to see? Hold on to. Because sometimes we have a public self that we don't really want people to hold on to. I don't remember when I did that thing. 
don't don't know me don't remember me now that i'm 40 pounds heavier don't know me now don't know me that way <laughs> and i'm not 40 pounds heavier than i was a year ago what i'm saying is I, i'm about 10 pounds heavier than i was a year ago 10 to 15 because i lost some weight so i don't want you to really freak out i gained all my weight back and then some i'm not proud of it but i'm i'm gonna persist and keep working on it but this self in this body i don't want you holding on to that although it is part of my public presentation but what is the public you that you want people to hold on the most about you that you want people to remember the most and i don't even know if founding founder is what i want people to remember the most what i want people to remember the most is that i'm a perceiver i'm a knower and part of being a founder reinforces that. So if I'm not, if I'm honest, founder is not my core identity. It's, but it is an, it's an identity piece for me. My core identity is that I am a knower. And I'm recently starting to come to terms with that. Some people call it a prophet. That feels weird. But it feels less weird for me to say that today than it felt for me to say it a year ago. I talked about how I'm like, I don't want to call myself a prophet. But a prophet is a knower. (laughs) Not necessarily about the future, but like about truth. And so deep insight. I have that. Sometimes I articulate it well. Sometimes it's a train wreck. Like in that episode, Calibration. Which starts off really good, by the way. But the second half of that, I don't know what I was doing. But nonetheless, thank you for those of you who listened to it. So whether or not you want to go into your most essential identity or or a significant part of your identity, I don't really care. The, the homework assignment is name it. Can you name it? What's really essential to you in terms of your identity? Doesn't have to be the most essential, but significant. And then I'm going to ask you, name it is part one. It's part, it's the A part of the question. And the B part of the question is, what feeds that identity? What feeds it? What protects it? Is it its And that has to be something you do. I I can't see it any other way. What are you... Let me say it differently. What are you doing... There it is. What are you doing to feed the most essential part of your identity? To feed it and to protect it. What are you doing? You guys, it's been a pleasure hanging out with you. Until I come back, be well. Bye.